welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Michael. She can stop the rage. Welcome back, everybody, to the month of love here on the Retro Blood. We are continuing our journey through this February love month, and we have pivoted to a to a aunt and and uh, an aunt and mother love story that's going in all kinds of different weird directions. Yes, this is the Retro Blood. Yes, this is. The Butcher, The Baker, The Nightmare Maker. What a doozy this movie was. J.A. Allison, James Klein, here, continuing our, our month of love. How's it going, Allison? How's your month of love going so far? Still great, man. I'm still, I'm still loving the February month. You know, we just passed the Valentine's Day, yep. um, you know, with the uh, Valentine's Day massacres and all happening. And um, we um, um, are now moving on to, uh, I guess this is our last week of Valentine's Month, right? Yes, this is one of the last weeks. We have one more oh, yeah. after this oh, one. Oh, yeah, I don't know what week it is. We have, one more. We, have, we have one more after this one. Yeah, so so far it's been great. It's been fantastic. Yes. We've got these classics, um, classics like Sorority House Massacre. And um, the one that we're going to talk to, about today is uh, surely, surely a classic. Yes. Ain't that for sure. Definitely a, a very interesting movie, and we'll get into it. Uh, but, you know, <clears throat> we're not done giving out boxes of chocolates. You know, we went from a, a chocolate-shaped heart box to some spiked milk. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely uh, there's different ways to show your love here on the Retro Blood. And you can show your love on the Retro Blood by, by um, clicking that little like button over there at the Facebook page where you can find all the extras of this show and many other shows and a bunch of other stuff we post. So, and we have some stuff coming up in the future too for all you guys. Uh, just some extra content. So keep a lookout for that. The Retro Blood doesn't stop giving out candies uh, uh, every part of the year. But, you know, this episode, we're going to be talking about all what was happening with this movie, The Butcher, Baker, Nightmare Waker, A.K.A. Night Warning. Alright, so a couple... It's one of those movies that have a couple different titles to them. And they have a a couple different release dates as well. Um, You know, because this is during the time where... Like we were... Me and Allison were talking. Like, this is the time where, you know, a couple movies... They didn't like... You don't just get a movie and it's played all across the the, the U.S. You know, it would be in like small markets. And then eventually probably work its way up. To getting released in certain theaters and then probably be released worldwide, probably on like home theater. I mean, on, on home video. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially movies like this because like genre movies like this were just I mean they were they really they are even today but especially back then they were looked down upon really like horror movies were like you know uh were were just considered like the I mean basically one step up above porno is basically what what <laughs> horror movies were considered. Yeah, boy. And you know and, and you can theater. read like some of <laughs> right 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 and of, often like they would often play in the same theaters to be honest with you. It's like they would have like in um, uh, like some of the grindhouse theaters in New York, like on 42nd street, like one screen would be showing like a porno movie and the next screen would be showing like the new Dario Argento movie or something like that, which is just really weird to think of, or, you know, Dawn of the dead or something like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, so it's really weird. Um, there's it, different, not weird, I guess, but it's different to think about how, like now there's so many people that love horror films, but, Horror films, and and I think that's one of the reasons that we do this show, like to do the metal, we do the horror, and we do the professional wrestling, is because all three of those things, especially during this time, were kind of looked down upon and, and as as being less than. Like metal's never been cool, and you know, and horror movies when they're they're at their best are not cool. Like it's just it's supposed to be something. It's not made for everybody, is what I'm saying. I guess. Yes, they all have like a uh, subgenre fan, you know, but the fans. Yeah, exactly. Of all three of them are definitely like hardcore about all three of them too. So when you definitely have a following of all these fans, you know, like us and everybody listening out here, it was very fun to talk about because we remember such fondly memories of all three. So that's why it's very fun to mix them all together. But, um, you know, when it comes to the history side, because we always like to pick a date and then see what's going on in pro wrestling and metal. <clears throat> so this one has a couple different dates. So what we're going to do is we're going to grab some music. From when the f movie was first released, which was on November 20th, 1981. It was uh, released in uh, Oregon and Salem, around, including uh, Salem as well, too. So, and that's when it, the title, the original title of this movie was The Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, which is the title that's still on the uh, Shutter program. But later on, when it got released um, in January of 1983, um, that's when it was released under the Night Warning uh, label. And so it has like basically it has about two release dates. Plus there there was a uh, a novel tie-in that was also written uh, written by Joseph uh, Bargo and it was released by Pocket Books on December first, nineteen eighty one. So there's a couple of different screens and there was another screening of this movie in March nineteen eighty two sc screening in St Louis, Missouri. So and also Vancouver, British Columbia. So it's it had like about three different. Um, I guess release dates, not including the home video release date as well, too. So we're just gonna grab a little bit from each. So should be pretty sure. pretty exciting. But um how about we do the metal first? So I'll go first. Yeah, so go first. I found some metal <clears throat> on the release date of this film, the first release date it had, when it was rockin' in Oregon. Um uh, yeah. We're do we're, we're taking the Trans Am to Oregon, brother. Yeah, the Oregonians were as uh -huh. Oregonians. Is that what people from Oregon are called? I'm sure they were yeah. just flocking out to see this movie. <laughs> exactly, that shit was <laughs> sold up to the Raptors. Sold out to the Raptors, brother. Fucking that that fit that 25 seat uh fucking uh, theater arena. That shit, they were grabbing their popcorns. They were grabbing their spiked milk. They were ready to go. All right. Yeah, this shit was fucking crazy. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. so what, what was happening in Metal James? So this is this is around November 20th, 1981. All right, so. 
I found two very interesting albums. So we have took we have talked about 1981 and metal before. Like we brought up Ozzy Osbourne before. We brought up Motorhead. You know, we brought up those kind of bands before. But you know, I like to pivot and go to some different directions. So when I was doing some of my research, I found two very interesting bands that had their albums released on November 1st and November 10th. So the first one I want to talk about is a band that I didn't know that they were this old. Because, and i never been a big, so this is a punk rock band. I've never been like the biggest punk rock fan. I mean, obviously I like the Misfits. Um, I like, you know, a couple Rancid songs, I guess. But I've never been like the biggest punk guy. But this particular band is actually one of my favorite punk bands. And I listened to a couple of their CDs. But um, I never like, fully got into them. But I remember like liking them. And that is the Dead Kennedys. Uh, they released oh, their yeah. album, In God We Trust, Inc. On November 1st, 1981. And I was surprised because I remember listening to them. I never knew they were like an 80s punk band. So... Where did you th- when did you think that where did you think they came from? Well, I I listened to them for the first time. God, it had to be around like two thousand and like seven, maybe two thousand eight, when my friend was playing it in his car, and I just thought, okay, they, you know, I knew they were like an older band. I thought they might be like a '90s band or something, you know, because they had a, like kind of like that '90s feel. But it's probably one of their '90s CDs I listened to. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, you know, I never, like I said, I liked them. I didn't really listen too much of them. I didn't do a lot of research on them, you know, at that particular time that I was listening to them. So when I was doing my research on this movie and I found this album, I was like, was like, wow, they're actually been around for a long time. So. Oh yeah. I mean, they were, they were a very early punk band. Well, I mean, not compared to like some, I guess, not compared to like the Stooges and, and the Ramones maybe, but they were like, you know, late seventies, early eighties, LA hardcore band. They were, I mean, I love the dead Kennedys. I mean, they were one of the most influential bands of all time. And you can hear that in music today. Well, maybe not very much today, but like in, um, one band that I think has a huge influence from dead Kennedys that most people wouldn't think of is system of a down. Yeah. Like if you listen to dead Kennedys and the way their songs are structured and then listen to system of a down, they sound a lot like the dead Kennedys. Yeah. So like definitely during this, 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 like, you know, we're, if we're putting ourselves in the 80s right now, like this would be a band that came out. I would look at this album cover because it's pretty cool looking um, album cover that's on here. Kind of got the whole Jesus on the cross deal going on. And I would pick it up, you know, just to check it out. But like I remember when I was listening to them before, I would kind of like them. So it kind of be a band I got to like slowly get into. But I know I was definitely rocking out with them. And these guys would definitely be in the, the cassette uh, tape on the Trans Am. Uh, driving up to Oregon to try to watch this freaking crazy movie in a back alley somewhere. So, oh, yeah. another album that I found on here is probably a little bit more of a commercial success album, I guess, than the Dead Kennedy. So, we're doing a 180 over here. Uh, it's actually going to be Motley Crue. They released their album Too Fast for Love, brother, on November 10th, 1981. You got any great Motley Crue stories? I think we we talked about them before on this show. Yeah, we've talked about Motley Crue a couple of times. I saw Motley Crue. It was one of the first shows, concerts I ever went to. Um, I saw them at the uh, Civic Center here in town, actually, um, strangely enough. But um, they, um, yeah, it was on the Dr. Feel Good tour. Um, yeah, Too Fast for Love, I think, is right. Uh, Too Fast for Love is my favorite Motley Crue album, actually, now. Um, 
I think it's still it's it's basically it was basically a demo tape like it was their demo tape and they just really it was released by Electra the way it was um but it still sounds raw and it doesn't have that overproduced Bob Rock sound that they would get later on but I think the first two I think shot at the devil and um too fast for love that's what Molly Crew sounds like and then after that they just kind of started going downhill even though they got more popular but you know that's how those things are a lot of times like when bands start to get really popular their music becomes more commercial and kind of starts going downhill a little bit yes <clears throat> so with our like boy Metallica, Billy for example yeah with our boy Billy do you think he'd be a, a Dead Kennedys fan or a Motley Crue fan no I think he'd be a Motley Crue fan for sure yeah definitely yeah, and this movie didn't really have a lot of the punk influence. You know, we have seen some movie that has, like, the punk influence on them. This one would be more like the Motley Crue influence, I guess, if there if there is any influence on this movie with band genre. <laughs> right. The, yeah, this movie looked to me like, you know, I'm not a filmmaker, but I watch a lot of movies. And um, t- um, it looked it didn't look like a 1980s movie. It looked more like a 1970s movie. Mm-hmm. Um especially like, you know, having Bo Swanson in it, who was like a pretty famous actor from the seventies, but like, it looked like it looked, I think, you know, it looked like it didn't have like the new wave, um, influence, you know, the new wave punk rock influence that all, some of the movies that we've been watching had like the Nightmare on Elm street and the new year's evil and that kind of thing. It just looked like, you know, a typical movie, I guess of its time. Yep. <clears throat> so what do you got for us on the wrestling side? So when I was trying to research a, a release date for the 1982, um, I couldn't find a specific one, but I what I could find was that it was released to, widely to theaters in February of 1982. So I was trying to find something. So this is what I found. So this is a Jim Crockett promotion show, which is I'm always going to be hyping Jim Crockett because it's my yeah, favorite ready. thing in the world. <laughs> um, so this took place in Charlotte on Valentine's Day. 1982. Nice. So think about this, James. This was your Valentine's Day date in 1982 right here. So so one thing about Crockett, too, is that they were really known um, up until Ric Flair got there. They were really known as a tag team company. So they ran mostly tag teams. Like it would be a tag team show, and then you'd have like one, maybe like one, one, one or two singles matches. Um, and then once they started getting big, they started doing more singles matches because that's what WWF was doing. But um, so for some reason, they had brought back a tag team tournament. This is not the Crockett Cup. This is pre-Crockett Cup. But there was a tag team tournament for what I assume is a vacant tag title. I couldn't find why they were vacated, but I'm assuming this was a vacant tag title. So this might take a minute because I want to go over some of this. So this took place in Charlotte. And, um, you know, that was basically just a tournament for the titles. And... The first match was Stan Hansen and Ole Anderson, who defeated Jay Youngblood and Jake Roberts. Nice. In the tournament. So Jake went out in the first round. Wow. And then um, then you had um, uh, Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine, and they defeated Black Jack Mulligan and Barry Windham. Oh, I bet that was a hard-hitting match. I bet that. I, 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 I was looking for this on YouTube and couldn't find it. I bet the show wasn't filmed. But yeah, I bet that was fucking crazy. Um, then you had the classic Jerry, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, who defeated Sergeant Slaughter and Jim Nelson. Then you had the barn burner of Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson defeating uh, Austin Idol and Ivan Koloff. And I bet, I mean, I, I don't mean that sarcastically. I bet that meant 
the match was fantastic. Yes. Because um, they were, they were then, a team, uh, oh, Pat yeah. Patterson and Ray Steven. They actually won't, I think it was like Portland they were really big in. And yeah. they were like one of the biggest like stars to come out of Portland. And especially, you know, Pat Patterson, like he, his, his legacy in wrestling is like felt from everywhere. You know, he was the original creator of the Royal Rumble. Yeah, he was. And, you know, one of the first openly gay wrestlers. Yes. That kind um, of ties in our movie here. And he was also well, the first well, intercontinental champion. I was going to say that. It kind of ties in our movie here, yeah. yeah. Um. First intercontinental champion. So definitely a lot of, um, yeah, definitely a lot of controversy. And then, yeah, I mean, he he, he definitely fit in uh, great in the in the, uh, the butcher, the baker, the nightmare maker for the one Pat mm-hmm. Patterson. Yep, and then the um, the finals of that match came down to uh, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, who beat uh, Piper and Valentine and won the tournament. Um, and then you had um, uh, Ricky Steamboat uh, defeated our boy Killer Khan. Killer Khan's back on the oh, uh, he's back, board. brother. He's ready to get him. <laughs> the side and slam. Main, <laughs> and then your main event, um, Ric Flair uh, uh, fought Tommy Rich. Wildfire Tommy Rich to a no contest. Okay, well you know Ric Flair matches are always good, um, even oh, yeah. when he was dealing, oh, yeah. even when he was dealing with like a local talent or an up and coming talent. So he definitely made him. Uh, he probably sold a lot for the guy. That's for sure. Oh yeah, and, oh yeah, and, and Tommy Rich was was. I mean, he was a hell of a wrestler too. I mean, I bet that match was fantastic. It probably went like an hour, and then they fought to a no contest. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it seems like a fun card to me. Uh, we'll be driving up in the Trans Am. Freaking Valentine's Day dates in the back. Got our fucking spiked milk that we have over here. We got our fucking uh, basketball shorts on. We are ready to go. We are ready to see some pro wrestling, brother. Have the best it could be. So, and like, yeah, like you're saying, like, you know, Jim Crockett, you know, especially with the tag team match, because they did have the Crockett Cup, which is Mm -hmm. one of their biggest events. You know, they had a lot of tag team. Uh, they are, I think they also had like two sets of tag team titles too. Like they had the NWA tag team titles, and then they had the NWA United States tag team titles. Yeah. So can't have enough tag teams. Cannot. And those are something we have to tell about too. Like you know, like the um, NWA and the Crockett man. Do their championship belts look like fantastic? Like I always like the old classic look, especially the NWA title, um, their United States title. That they still kind of like the United States title that they have kind of looks like the um, well they still have the United States title they're still using it in the NWA promotion right now but I was like the look of those mm-hmm. and how they like yeah. how they, they actually look very unique yeah see so title belts so you like the old title belt like the world title belt like the one that uh, NWA uses now or you like the big gold belt well my favorite is the big gold belt like that is yeah. like my favorite championship I think it looks way better. But the original NWA title, which they still use nowadays, um, I still think it looks, you know, it looks good. Like, you could tell it's a world championship belt, you know? Oh, yeah. So, but I, I prefer, I actually always like their United States championship title belt. I've always liked to look at that one. Yeah, the, that was a great design. Yeah, that was that was really good. I think the WCW always had really good titles. Um, the double, was it the, what, which one that's uh, Steve Austin, stunning Steve Austin hold? That Was it the double legal title or the winged eagle or what they call that for the um, in the 90s or the early 90s i guess oh for the wwf one no for um wcw didn't he hold like a 
maybe I'm thinking of his Intercontinental from WWF. Well, he had United the uh, he I had the, the United States like double eagle, yeah. winged eagle title. Or well, something the like uh, that. the United States Championship that WCW used had an eagle on it, so it's probably and it had a little U.S. flag on on the belt as well too. So they used that one. They, he did yeah, hold maybe, that one. Yeah. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I can't remember. Um, I, I, that just came into my mind because that was a really cool, cool looking title that he was that he held before he was a world champion. Yeah, and maybe I think I'll... he said he has that title in his safe right now, like he kept nice. it. Maybe what I'll do is on the on the Facebook page, I'll see if there's a, a couple videos of old championship belts that everybody could talk about and see what we mean because you know, like nowadays a lot of the titles are just kind of generic looking. Especially in WWF, um, not not too much in AEW. I think they have pretty nice looking ones, but mm. you know, just back in the day, they were so like every every title had like a unique design to them, and um, the WWF during the eighties too. I thought they had a really nice looking championship belts as well too. You know, you had the wing eagled. Uh, the first yeah. world title that they had, I thought was kind of bland, but I've always liked the classic WWF tag team title, and of course the Intercontinental title. Those are always like one, two of my favorite belt designs as well, too. Yeah, I think that the WWE belts today, well, the heavyweight title belts look terrible. They look like toys yeah. to me. Like they just, they just look like a, you don't like, like a the toy blue. Belt you don't like pop. the blue uh, fruit lullaby. <laughs> no, those, those titles look terrible. And the only thing I can think of is they were designed so that they could make toys look more like the actual titles. Like that's the only thing I can think of. Those titles look fucking terrible. Yeah, they're so generic. But, um, they're so generic. They're just, I mean, you can't even tell like who, um, uh, you can't even, I mean, one's blue and one's red. That's it. That's the only way you can tell who the champion is. But, um, I wonder what happened to all those old titles, like the old NWA titles and the Crockett titles. And you know, what, what do you think ever happened to those belts? Well, did I remember is, you know, there's some collectors out there that had some in their possession, but I think there was like, there's a show that WWE did called there was like it was like a season it was like treasured shows and i think they yeah. bought a couple of the old championship belts to put in their maybe one day hall of fame so they they yeah. probably grabbed a couple but um you know it, they probably just went to collectors during during you know different times like i'm not exa- i think WWE has most of them but there's all probably like belt collectors out there that and then there is like a big um collectors group who collect like a lot of old and new like merchandise that they keep in their collection. They kind of auction them off. Yeah. So I'm not really into that world. So I don't know who has exactly what, but I know there is a big community out there. People selling like not replica stuff, but the original things to each other. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we might be rich, but we're not rich enough to be in that world. Uh, I mean, <laughs> those, that's an that's an expensive world. That's some rare air those people breathe. But because those things are one of a kind. Because back then, like you had a title. Like you know, if you if Ric Flair was the world champion and he lost the title, he gave that title to whoever won it. Whereas now, I think they have a new belt every single time somebody wins it. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I think like you know and. When Roman Reigns finally loses his title, he'll take this home and they'll mint another one. Well, but maybe. back then, that... So I think it is. I think they have one that the person carries around with them and they got one for TV. And the only thing they really change is like the, the plates on them. Really? Okay. Because, yeah. I mean, I see pictures of them on TV changing the plates, but, you know, that could just be kayfabe. But... Yeah. So, cause, okay, so that, okay, so that brings up a point. I, mean, I know we need to get in the movie, but this brings up a point. So are those stories that I hear... 
like you might have just kind of broke wrestling for me. So are yeah. these stories that I hear about them carrying the the titles through airports not true? No, I think they are. Like I think I was about to say. I mean, are you going to tell me this is not real? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, could you know you hear those stories about yeah. um like Austin Aries having like when he was the belt collector and he had like twelve titles, yeah. he would have trouble going through airport security because he had all these steel. Well, you got to remember the though, metal these metal blades. Well, it could be two two sides of that. So, you know, when you're a guy like Austin Aries collecting a bunch of independent titles, yeah, that's probably the only titles that there are. You know what I mean? There's not probably a lot of replica of those title belts. Like, even if he is, like, Ring of Honor or Impact Champion. You know, they might have one for TV and, and one that he carries around. You know, obviously, the WWF is bigger, and they're more of, like, yeah. a prop company. So, I could see that there's, like, many... Uh, belts around for for the you know just in case one gets lost or broken or something like that they have plenty on standby uh it just depends too because you know like a lot of wrestlers probably do the bus thing now which they didn't really do back in the day so it's probably a little easier to carry around championship belts but you know for like the the local indie guy probably like you know omega when he was collecting all those belts that he did I mean, he probably had to yeah. go through a bunch of airports with them to bring him on the TV because it's not like Impact is probably going to have like 15 belts on standby, you know? Right. They ain't got the money for that. Yeah, exactly. You know, and of course, back in the day, so back in, you know, during the Ric Flair Crockett era, you know, with the NWA, <clears throat> you would actually have to put a deposit down on the championship belt when you won it. And that was a whole big controversy when Rick was trying to leave to get out of his contract that, um, um, uh, Herb Herb wouldn't uh, give him back his deposit, so that's why he didn't give back the championship belt when he left the WWF. He kept it because he paid a deposit for that title belt. So, you know, different companies just do everything. So they probably made that the deposit on the title belt. So if the if the person lost it or something, they would, um, you know, not lose the the value of the championship belt. Right, and I was going to bring that up because I, I, but except I thought it was the other way around. I thought it was a WCW belt that he, that he wouldn't give back. I thought it was a copy of the big gold belt, but it was a WWF belt that he wouldn't give back, and I think he still has to this day, um, because they wouldn't pay his, they wouldn't give him his, uh, his deposit back. Yep. And um, Hogan, Hogan has the, um, uh, the famous Bash at the Beach belt. Yeah, with the dent on the one. It. Well, yeah, the one, well, the, oh, the one, one without from, the uh, the one from um, when when uh, Jarrett and not Bischoff, who's the other guy? The guy I don't like Rick uh, Russo. Russo, Russo yeah. Uh, remember when Russo comes out and at that famous uh, the one where he's supposed to be turning everything around, and he has Hogan come out and he has Jarrett come out and lay down for him. Yeah, and he says he's like, I swear on my life, you'll never see that son of a bitch in WCW again. And then Hogan leaves with that title. He still has that title. Like he just never gave it back. I think. Yeah, yeah. Because then they use um, the uh, they they use the old big old belt that had the dent on on the front. Right. Yeah. They brought back the old one, the one that means something, according to Russo. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting. So, like in that episode of Raw from years ago, where John Cena's dad gets attacked in his house. Mm-hmm by maybe edge i can't remember and then it, it shows um all those t- titles that are framed on the wall those are replicas probably probably you know i mean it's kind of hard to tell nowadays if somebody actually has a real one that they're actually using during that era or their replica because there's pretty much replica of every belt that's ever been made oh yeah 
So, um, and I think Brock Lesnar still has an IWGP uh, title from uh, New Japan because he never went back again. Yeah, it's possible. Mm. But uh, yeah, anyway, probably enough about titles. Um, all about the titles. Like I said, we'll <laughs> find something on the YouTube page to explain what we're talking about because championships yeah. in wrestling are very beautiful and very, very, uh, you know, prestigious. I would say very. Oh, yeah. You know, it's kind of like it kind of uh, helps and puts the whole package together of something to actually fight for and to 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 work for as well. So yeah, and they do mean something. It does mean something. Well, not as much now, but back then, especially up until the 2000s, it definitely meant something. If you if you if if you were the world champion, I mean, wrestling. You know, I mean, we can say wrestling is fake, but like Bret Hart said, it's more real than you would ever think. Because winning a world title means you won something. It means you 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 were thought of well enough by your company to be pushed to the top and to carry it. Exactly. You're the number one man, so, brother. Yep, you are the number one guy. You, it does mean something. Speaking of meaning something, let's get into uh, the Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. So shocking, so terrifying, so powerful. Night Warning has been named Best Horror Film of the Year by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror. Billy and Julie, young, innocent, in love. It was all a mistake. They didn't go looking for trouble. They were just too curious. Without knowing, they've uncovered a deadly secret. By accident, they've stumbled onto a grisly murder. Now, they know too much to live. A chilling tale of a young boy and girl, innocent victims, now targets of a frenzied obsession with murder. See the award-winning Night warning. All right, so this is a very interesting movie. And before we get into the review, I want to go over a couple um, news and notes about this movie. So, the first thing is, you know, me and Allison have a, a, we like to call a little bit of a segment or a little bit of (laughs) of a thing where... You can't do this stuff nowadays, you know, because, you know, yeah. back then in the 80s, you know, it's a lot different than it is in 2022 when it comes to the way dialogue is produced and received. So, you know, in this movie, there was a lot of um, bigotry, I guess, towards the gays, especially with one actual character. So we're probably not going to say word for word what he did. But we will we will tone it down to to still say the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, you pretty much couldn't make this movie now. Like, no. there's nothing in this movie. <laughs> yeah. that, like, if the, if a movie like this came out today, people would lose their fucking minds. Yes, like, like every aspect of it. Yeah, not just the you the 
the very very liberal use of the f word in this movie mm-hmm. um like it's almost like he was just making a point of putting it in the movie multiple multiple times exactly but um but but you just could not you just couldn't make a movie like with this subject matter you couldn't do this at all period yeah like this one would definitely be like I don't even know where you would find. You probably have to like order this you know, off the black market, like nowadays, if it got made, because there's no yeah, like company be... that would like touch this. Mm. <laughs> they definitely wouldn't touch this shit. No, this sure. would be this would be this would be protested, and yeah, it just it yeah. just would be. Even though you know it, it does tell a story that is very similar to Psycho, where we have a. A crazy mom, you know, making her son a little nuts in a way. Um, and, you know, I did appreciate the actual plot of the story where, you know, something like this could happen because the the syndrome of having a, a pretty much a bipolar, you know, lady taking care of a kid can be very dangerous for, for individuals involved. So it's actually it's a pretty dark, you know, subject matter. And I thought the movie, you know, portrayed that very well. When it comes to like, you know, stereotypes on a particular sexual orientation, and I thought it was really good about, um, you know, showing how like a sick, bipolar, you know, motherly figure can really warp a, a, a son's mind, and of course, like you know, we take both those matters and we turn it up to the extreme. This is how we get this movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, to an extreme, an yeah. absolute extreme. So a couple of things uh, I just want to get till we get to the full review uh, that I thought it was pretty interesting. So a lot of this movie had a lot of influences from movies beforehand. And one of the biggest ones was the character of Cheryl. Um, she was inspired by the, the female antagonist in the movie Baby Jane Hudson and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, 1962. So that's interesting. Yes. But it makes sense though. So it you know it's about like a uh, psychopathic mother who is very dangerous to herself and society. So obviously we got that over here too. Um a couple of things this is also was modeled after um Oedipus Rex. I was Oed- going to bring that up. Like yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of based on Oedipus Rex, which is a Greek uh Greek story. Yes, Oedipus Rex the king. So a very Greek story. And it's uh, you know showing some uh, some some uh, uh, interesting relationships between a mother and a son. So so we have a couple of that influenced this particular story. Um, also, too, this is actually one of the first movies to actually show a homosexual character in a uh, in a heroic light. You know because. Yeah. You know, during this time of the 80s, homosexuality was not as uh, well received as it is nowadays. It's It was kind of still on like the back burner. It would be like an underground type of thing. You know, like your very underground clubs, you know, um, society, if you brought it up, they would kind of like shun out of it a little bit. So it wasn't as accepted, you know, as it is nowadays. And this was actually one of the first movies to actually show a a normal character just being like normal, like the coach. He was just a normal coach, very likable character. Uh, it's not like he was trying to do any kind of like perverted things to his students or anything just because he was gay. He was just like a straight yeah. character who was actually very nice and very helpful, especially you know, towards the end. 
So I thought that was very interesting how they did that. And, you know, I guess that was one of the biggest things they, and back in the day they were talking about too, is like they were surprised that, you know, because a lot of movies didn't have that in there. And this one did. So it's very, mm-hmm. at least that part was really like, you know, pretty cool about like showing like these different like, you know, genres in a good light. Yeah, it was very, I would say this was, would have been, this would have had to have been very revolutionary for its time. Like it's, like I can't even think of another movie that had like this kind of uh, portrayal of, of gay characters. I mean, cause they're, they're, um, you know, the, the gay characters in the movie are portrayed, um, you know, like regular people, you know, imagine that like, they're just regular people. Yeah. Um, but you know, like instead of being like most gay characters and, and show and shows and movies at this time would either be like perverts and degenerates, or they would be like just overly, Oh, like just over overly exaggerated like feminine type characters yeah and um you know and when you know as we all know now for sure is that you know you know gay people are just like everybody else they're just you know gay you know yeah. and and it's just like they have like um in this like you know the coach is portrayed as a re- just a, he's just he's just like any other character and the only reason you would know he's gay is because of the plot you know, and like there could be more gay people in this movie that just didn't have a plot point and we would never know. And I think that was revolutionary for its time that we just had these kind of like, you know, just n- real normal everyday characters who also happen to be gay. Yeah. And um, the character who played the detective, Joe Carson. Joe Swanson. Yeah. Uh, oh, Joe Carson, the character, yeah, yeah played Joe by Carson. Bo Swanson. Yeah, yeah both, yes. Very interesting. <laughs> like, uh, it's crazy how, like, um, how different, you know, he is in different other roles than this one. It's kind of like, okay, yeah, I got this sure. huge fume hi- uh, film history. You know, I was in Kill Bill Volume 2. I was a reverend. You know, I was like... Um, uh, yeah, I know him from Walking Tall. That's that's where you know, he was in he was in Walking Tall, which is where I know Bo Swanson from. Yeah, and then um, like but then, play, it's just crazy. Like, oh, then I'm also I'm also on Night Warning, and I'm some sort of crazy bigoted <laughs> cop. It's just crazy. I yeah. like the different style roles that you you know that you get into. But yeah, his character was definitely like there there was no way they could do a character like him nowadays. No, I mean even even as a bad character, even as a villain character, like it would just be too. It would be it would be too much. Yeah, um, so. you know. I mean, it was almost too much in this. I was just like, I mean, I wouldn't say I was shocked because very little shocks me. But like, yeah. I was when I was watching the dialogue, it was it was it had to have been on purpose. Like it had to have been trying to make a point. Yeah, that's how I was you know what I mean of 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 him being bigoted because it was really weird. I was con- it did confuse me about some plot points that we'll get into. So like when we get into the the first murder part, what <clears throat> I'll ask you a couple of questions about that because it did confuse me at first because I thought he was supposed to be a good character. Yeah, me but too. I don't think he is now. Yeah, yeah. It, it confused me a lot too. It was like, it just took a weird turn, but we'll get into it. Right. All right. Let's start this journey off, brother. All right. Let's get going. Let's dive deep into it. Okay. So we start off, we have a young Billy, blonde haired kid, and he's saying goodbye to his. Uh, mom and dad. The mom and dad are going to go on like a vacation to, to visit their mother, and they're going to be uh, Billy is going to be staying the time over with his aunt, 
His aunt is named Cheryl. Cheryl yep. Roberts. So when I say Robert, Cheryl, aunt, you'll know who I'm talking about. Billy, mm-hmm. we're just going to keep that Billy. So this is when we're... Oh, I actually wanted to look this up, but we, uh, I just totally forgot. So on the radio broadcast, they were talking about how the Green Bay Packers like were winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. So this yeah. took place on... Uh, they Didn't they say they won the Super Bowl? Yeah, then they said they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, so that was so. This takes place on January sixteenth, nineteen sixty-seven. Nice. This was when this part of the movie happened because January fifteenth, nineteen sixty-seven, was uh, Super Bowl one in which the Packers beat the shit out of the Kansas City Chiefs. Boom! There you go. The Green Bay Packers. I always liked that team. I always thought oh, they yeah. were pretty good. He, yeah. Um, and, uh, and that happened in, uh, LA, Los Angeles, which is where this year's Super Bowl happens too. So it's almost like, uh, it, this show was meant to happen. Exactly. It all comes, it all ties in. Yeah. So we have the mother and she is looking at, uh, the mother's name is Anna, by the way. She is looking at a young Billy's pictures. And then the dad, Billy or Bill, that's his name. Uh, he realizes oh crap somebody took off the brakes so <laughs> he starts swerving everywhere with this car they he's just like going past this car it's like a yellow car swerving up and down uh they almost like hit like a truck and then uh, then they have they they're right behind a truck that has a bunch of like logs with like this little red like flag looking thing and then he eventually bam rhymes in right to that truck and Mary that scene of him his fucking head getting slapped off was crazy yeah, and then after well, th- okay. I knew that I was gonna say I knew this movie would be batshit insane from the very beginning. Like as soon as like we have little Billy screaming for his parents yep. into the still frame of them driving away, um, I knew this would be batshit insane. But I have a question. So <clears throat> this plot point here. So do, do do people not test their brakes when they take off? And is, has he not needed the brakes before now? Like, are we supposed to believe that the brakes just failed? Just yeah, exactly. There was like no, no reason. Yeah, there was no like stop sign at his residential <laughs> area <laughs> to get onto the right. highway. <laughs> it's just like, oh, we're just going. <laughs> or maybe, maybe uh, whoever sabotaged the brakes, even though we know what it is, but we don't want to spoil it for the audience. Maybe she was like, okay, maybe I can like put like a device on there that the brakes can work a little bit, but then right when he gets on the highway, there's no brakes. I have no idea. It's like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's like a slow brake fluid leak. Maybe they created a slow brake fluid leak. Who knows? And well, he, just, he was r- like, he was like, the brakes are gone. Like he thought they're like physically like took it out. So that is a good <laughs> question. How did he actually stop at stoplights to get onto the highway? Right. At this point, like, you know, and they, they have no brakes at all. Like, you know, did oh. he, I don't know. I just, I think this, I think this plot point in movies is really strange yeah. that, that it would, that this, I just don't think that taking the brakes out on a vehicle would really work to kill somebody. No, but it did in this one. And he ran right into that oh, yeah, pole and his head was bounced back. That was a crazy looking scene. And then from all the wreckage, basically the car falls off uh, a mountain and it blows up and we have a young Billy's picture floating in the water. So it is now 14 years later from this incident. Nope, 1981. 1981. We have Billy and we have some, we have aunt's pictures all around the house. So the aunt, she is wake, she wakes up to some news. Remember the aunt is Cheryl. She looks around the house 
She goes into Billy's room and finds a condom. Uh oh. And then she starts like pawing at him. Which I was like, okay, this is already getting weird. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, the Billy wants five more minutes to wake up. And Billy finally wakes up and then she's about to be um cooking him some uh, breakfast. So she's cooking Chrissy with a big knife. Little, little, little hint. Anytime you see like a horror movie with a big knife, you know that knife's going to be used. Like, you know what I mean? It has to be. It has, yeah, to, it has be. to be. There always have to be like these big butcher knives everywhere. So Billy's talking about he wants to go pick up Julie uh, because he wants to have invite Julie for his birthday dinner that, there's, that they're going to be doing. The aunts, um, the aunt is kind of asking him, like, are they dating now? And he says, like, I don't know, but she does make me happy. So, and then she's like, say, like, hey, Billy, you know, you need to eat before you go out and stuff. So we're showing that, you know, the aunt and Billy's relationship is very, um, you know, they're very close, close together. You know, since mm, no, Billy's, sure. Billy's parents died. You know, obviously the aunt has taken over the the mantle of being his parents. So this is when we had Billy. He is now playing some basketball, and I always liked the the eighties uh, gym attire with the shorts and the freaking socks up, knee highs and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. That always gets me. I always like it. Uh, yeah, we, with the long, with the short shorts and the long socks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And of course, we do the skins and then we do the shirts and everything. And this is when we see Julie. She's taking a shit ton of pictures. Pictures and pictures and pictures. But it's just weird, though, because, you know, I thought the pictures or her taking pictures was going to come to some sort of, like, you know, hidden Easter egg and stuff. But no, she just takes a lot of pictures. So, yeah, it, yeah, it took me a second to figure out what was going on here. I thought my the stream on my I was streaming this from uh shutter yeah and uh, i thought the <laughs> i thought my stream was messing up because it kept freezing oh for yeah yeah <laughs> well, me I was too. Like, what the fuck is going on yeah I, me too I, you know, like, I thought i was gonna have to restart the movie and like oh she's like it's like a photograph she's like taking a photograph because yeah. like you know when you're watching like a dvd or something like it was like oh crap it got scratched that's what it basically was like is it kept like pausing i was like <laughs> what's going on i was like wait a minute i'm not watching this on dvd <laughs> but yeah i get yeah i did the same thing to me so we're seeing some uh, some more kids play basketball, and we see we're seeing that there's a little bit of a rivalry, uh, rival. Sorry, a little bit of a rival between Eddie and Billy. Eddie is kind of like the skinny, black-haired dude, and Billy is more like the blonde, you know. Mm-hmm. And and basically, the coach likes Billy a lot, and the coach is like. He's like, you know, graduating everybody, tells them all to like hit the showers. And he goes up to Billy, he's like, hey, Billy. And he just sees you in my office after you hit the shower. I was like, okay. And the coach is a very, you know, feely, touchy kind of coach, too. So, but, you know, he, you could tell that he's very enjoying his job of coaching these kids, of um, doing basketball. So we see Eddie, he is kind of pouting a little bit. He is saying, like, you know, why is a coach, like, like you so much? And then Eddie's like, you think you run this team? And Billy's like, listen, you know, I do because, you know, I'm just a better player than you. And then, of course, we get our first naughty word of the movie where Eddie says, keep your blank hands off me. All right? So we, we, ain't, we ain't playing around. Now, I thought, you know, sometimes in horror movies we hear some of these words. And, you know, they're just, like, passing words. We might hear them once or twice. This movie was, like, a fucking plethora of them. 
No, yeah. I was like, shit. I mean, <laughs> right till we get to we, our one kid. Pro- I was about to say, we probably had the F word in this like, um, the, you know, like 30 times, 30 40 times. times. Yeah. And when we say the F word, we don't mean fuck. We would just say that. But it's it's, a, it's the other F word, the one the one you shouldn't say. Yes. Um. Uh, also, while we're paused here, did you notice, I don't know if you noticed this, that uh, Eddie's played by Bill Paxton. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was in, um, yeah. what was he in? Well, he was in a bunch of movies, but he was in Terminator. Yeah, Terminator, um, yeah. Well, he played, had a small part in Terminator, but he was in most Jam- James Cameron movies. Um, he was in, uh, he was in a bunch of movies. He's a very famous actor now. I mean, he's dead now, but he was a very famous actor up until his death. And, um, but this was like, this had to have been like maybe his first, first role. Um, but yeah, he plays Eddie in this movie. Yeah, he was, uh, yeah, he's in True Lies, Apollo 13, Twister. Yeah, he's in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, he's a very, very famous actor. Yeah. yeah but, but none, none has much credited as, uh, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. That's his, uh, that's no. his, uh, <laughs> claim to fame yeah i'm sure this, this got his career started i'm sure this is this is what this is what james cameron saw to put him in uh into his movies exactly I, I can, i'm absolutely sure of that so the aunt she is done watching a kid and this is when we meet the uh margie character she's kind of like an older lady who's like friends with uh, cheryl so she is talking to cheryl saying like you know hey you know I got this friend. He's like 35 years old, very cute looking guy. And then the Cheryl's just like, I don't need a man. I don't, you know, I just, I'm fine on my own, you know, here with uh, Billy. And she's like, well, you know, well, Billy, he's growing up and stuff. And then the Cheryl, she doesn't want to hear it. She's like, nah, I don't want to hear it. All right. So this is when we get Billy. He's walking through the hall. Julia scares him with some more pictures. And this is like, hey, you know, I was meeting the coach for an hour, and we're late now, and we had to get to Cheryl, get get back home to Cheryl. And Julia's kind of like, "Well, you know, we don't have to get there that quick." He's like, "No, my aunt, she gets pretty crazy, you know, when I'm when I'm there late." And then now this is when Billy gets back home, and he's like, "Hey, sorry, I had to walk Julie home. I'm sorry, I'm late and everything." The aunt's like, "She's cooking some dinner." And this is when Billy spills the news of what him and the coach was talking about. So basically what's going on is the coach says there's some people from Denver coming down to check out Billy's basketball skills. And if they like what, what, what they see, they're going to offer him a full scholarship to Denver. And then the, the aunt's like, well, I don't, I don't really get why you want to go to Denver. I got a job lined up for you over here. You know, you're not going. And then he's all like, listen, you know. Uh, I got. I, I want to go. You know. I'm like. I'm. I, if if they offer me, I'm going to be going. He's like. And then she's like. Oh, isn't isn't that convenient? Isn't that where Julie, uh, is wanting to go Denver too? And then um, you know, the aunt is getting just a little bit upset, saying like, listen, school is not for you. School is for like smart and rich kids. You're not any of those. I was like, damn. Okay, we're getting fucking hot over here. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Like yeah, because you're not smart or rich, Billy. Yeah. So she's like, we're poor. You know, you, you got to give me some credit. I raised you, you know, I, I sacrificed everything to raise you and stuff. And Bill's like, well, I just assumed like after a while, this house, you would sell it and stuff. She's like, no, I've lived in this house my whole life. It's not for sale. And she's like, you owe everything for me. I raised you for 14 years. 
And then she's like, you're, you're stay, what you're doing is you're going to stay here. You're going to take that job and end a discussion. And he's like, he's like, no, you can't, you can't stop me. Uh, nobody can stop me. And then she slaps him. And then he looks all confused and she goes upstairs upset. She's like, you upset me. I'm not finished this dinner. I'm going upstairs. So we're seeing, we're, we're building to the, the aunt is very, very protective and wants Billy to stay there. So we're seeing some sort of like, you know, she doesn't want him to grow any. She wants him to just be there stuck with him. Yeah, you know, this is like the early signs of that. Yeah, this was really not strange, but it was like this was like not this is not what I expected to happen in, at this point in this movie. Um, one thing about this movie too, um, I didn't know any absolute. I knew absolutely nothing about it. Yeah, me either. I didn't know. Anything. Um, I, I, I knew what the poster art looked like. Yeah, and that's it. I knew nothing. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know what any of the themes were. So when this happened, I was like, oh wow, okay, that's not what I expected to happen here. I thought she would be happy that he's you know, going away to college. Like, why is he not, uh, yeah. You know, cause she seemed like sort of happy that he was seeing Julie in the other scene, you know, she was kind of teasing him about it and, you know, yeah. um, but now all of a sudden she's like, no, you can't leave. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That's kind of weird. But yeah, anyway, so, so we, we're, we're like building up to like her, her madness basically. And I, you know, I was on YouTube. I didn't really know anything about the history of the movie. I just read the, um, the title, you know, like the uh, the subtitles of what it's about, and I did hear it's yeah. about like an obsessed, you know, aunt. So I knew that I knew that parts were coming, but these other parts I had no idea were about to happen. So this is also too when we get um, Cheryl. She is now going downstairs and she's talking to herself in like this garage area, and mm-hmm. she's all saying like, you know, I need him. I need him to stay here. So now we have the aunt. She's talking to Billy, and this Billy wakes up like a ton of this movie. Like every time Billy wakes up, the aunt is there. Like almost every fucking scene, it's crazy. So Billy is waking <laughs> up. All right, like if there was a uh, a drinking game we could do with this movie, it's every time Billy wakes up. <laughs> yeah, then we'd be drunk halfway through. Yes. So Billy's waking up. Aunt's there. She sings "Happy Birthday" to Billy because it's his birthday right now, and he was all like, "Oh, thanks for this card. You know, I thought after last night, you know." She's like, no, just read the card. And then the card says, hey, happy birthday and good luck with your scholarship. So it seems like they have made up a little bit. And then she's like, okay, I'm going to go make some coffee. And she's like, oh, hey, by the way, um, the TV is acting up a little bit. Can you call up the repairman um, to come and fix the TV? And he's all like, oh, you know, you, you sure? Like, I can't take a look at it. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I just want you to do it. And like, you know, um, if you can, like, I'm going to be you know, out all day and stuff. So, you know, if you can have him come by really quick to, to, to fix up the TV. And the TV guy's name is Phil, Phil Brody. So it's like Brody's yeah. fixed repair TV. And this is like when they had, this is actually when they fix TVs, unlike nowadays where that shit, that your TV breaks, you're out of luck, brother. All right, you better get a new one. Yeah, all right? yeah you had a guy that could, that could actually fix a television. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, me and Allison know all about that. Well, fuck, man, you guys know a repair shop? If, if we watch this movie, I'd be like, yeah, you can call my boy Phil. I mean, he might not be like alive, but he might be able to do something. Right. Well, don't spoil it for the people. But yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, yeah like, so 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 she kind of call Phil to fix the television, which um, everything seems so normal at this point. Like, Very it just accurate. seems like, a you know, they got in a little bit of a tiff. Yeah. You know, but everything seems so normal. And um, and in this in this film so far, they're just a, they have a normal, you know, aunt you know kind of nephew she does have the weird she, you could tell a little bit that there's something a little off with her at the beginning 
Well, yeah, yeah, that's that's true. You could tell a little off, and when she's talking to herself in the basement, but you know, you probably you at this part, you're probably just thinking, okay, well, she probably has some trauma because her sister and her sister's husband died. Maybe she was close to them, you know. So that that's understandable. And she she didn't know she was going to be taking care of this kid, you know. But, but we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see we'll see about that. But <laughs> but Billy, now we have Billy. She's he's telling Julie, you know, about all, all the scout and everything. And he was talking about his aunt, you know, being a little bit upset about it. And then uh, they were talking about, you know, Billy's pretty excited about trying to, you know, get this scholarship. So the the aunt now is getting her nails done. Okay. And the repair guy is done. And this is when she starts to seduce him. She is all like, hey, look, you know, she's putting up her skirt and everything. She like grabs him everything. So it's like, I, I need a man. And he's like, whoa, lady, I'm not interested. And she's all like, what? You know, you're not interested. And she's like, she's like, I need a man. I need a man right now. He's like, well, it's not going to be me. And it's, and, <laughs> and she's like. That was my favorite part. No, I was like, not going to be me. <laughs> and he's like, it's not going to be me. Yeah. Because at, um, first, at, so, first, at first, I was like, man, this is going to be a porno. Like, she was like ready to get down and dirty. And I was like, damn. Yeah. Yeah. And so this came out of the blue for me. So like, <laughs> did, um. So, do you think did she? So, was there actually something wrong with the TV, or did she call him there for this reason, or did she just go like bipolar and decide that she just wanted to do this like right then? I think she planned the whole thing. Yeah, I think I think so too. Yeah. So he's also like, hey, she she then then she like grabs him. She's like, I'll let you do anything to me, and he's all like, okay, we'll work on it, like pointing out to his junk, and then she's like, no, she freaks out. Then he pushes her. And then right when he pushes her and he tries to leave, she grabs the butcher knife and starts stabbing this motherfucker all over. Like, stabs him in the back, stabs him in the neck. And then during this, we have Billy's kind of coming up. He sees a repair van and he looks at the window and he actually sees uh, his aunt stab Phil in the back yeah. and in the neck. And then he comes in, there's blood all over. And the aunt's like, he tried to rape me, he tried to rape me. There's like blood all over, you know, she's getting Billy all blooded. Billy has a fucking knife in his hand. He doesn't know what to think. And this is when we reestablish that this movie is probably going to be a little crazy. And then we have Frank and Margie come over. And that Margie was the old girl from before. And I guess like his only friend. And then I guess they were there for Billy's. So, so also too. So in, in Cheryl's warped mind, she was going to like kill this repair guy at the same time that they were supposed to have a birthday party for Billy. No, I don't think so. I think you're wrong about that. I think she just killed him. Um, um, not out of instinct. What's what we're looking for? Like, it was like a, um, um, like she just like went into a rage and killed him. Like, I don't think she intended to kill him. I think like, she I did. I think she intended. Uh, man, I don't know. This is no because this is another she, no. Uh, difference we have on retro blood. Yes. Why do you think that? Because she why, why brought. Why do you think that? Because she brought up later on, like later on in the movie, like, hey, you know, I, I, I got him to stay. Because she did bring that up when she was talking to that that shrine portrait. Of like, hey, you know, I, 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 I got him to stay here. So I think she did. I think I think she planned this kind of in her head. To kill this guy, and and to create this controversy, so Billy will not go off to college, because her work mind uh, is trying to do that. But maybe, it, maybe, maybe it's a little bit right of both. That. 
Robo dicks him. You know, because it. But you're right. It seems really strange. There's a, a few things in this scene that don't make sense with information that we get later on, which we'll bring up. But, yeah. but yeah, you're right. Like, so if that's the case, like, it's really weird that she would kill this guy right before. Uh, yeah, people right were before supposed to come over. Birthday party yeah. supposed to happen. <laughs> so they knock. They actually come in. Frank, they just barge right in. Like, fucking, okay, just come right in. And then they look over. They see it's Billy's birthday party. All the stuff is ready to go. They brought like cheesecake and everything. Then they see Billy and they see Cheryl and they see the dead guy and they see blood, Billy with the blood on his hand, you know, the, the knife and blood all over him. And they're like, what the fuck? So now the police are there. And these police officers are like weird. Like these play. <laughs> okay, this is really interesting. They're like, hey, you guys ready to move the body? And then, and then they ask like, like, you guys buying this rape story? And they said, no, no, no. They said, uh, what the fuck? Hold, hold on, hold on. I got one, too. Oh, hold on. Amber Alert. Amber Alert. What the fuck? Amber Alert. 2012. Star- Silver Ford, Ford Escape. Escape. Oh, shit. Oh, help. Oh, oh my God. Fuck. Uh, that was crazy. I mean, fuck, that's like an amber. That in the show. I know. That's like the fucking police. <laughs> did you do like, this rape story? <laughs> Don't believe it. <laughs> amber oh, we've been shut down. I wonder if this is oh, our we've boy. been shut down. <laughs> Where's our girl Cheryl over there? Fucking. That's crazy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I was about to get anyway, to the best where part. Where were we? I was about to get to the best part of these lines saying the cop, the two police officers, after they said they're not buying the rape story. They said, boy, this ain't his gay. They said, boy, this is not his day. He couldn't even get his pecker out. All right. Right. So, but I mean, but yeah, at this point, the cops are doing cop stuff, though. So like when I, when I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, so these are cops doing cop work. And, you know, they're like, yeah, they're not buying this rape story because it doesn't make any sense. Yes. So this is when we get the first interaction for one of the weirdest characters in horror movies, Detective Joe (laughs) Carson. Yes. (laughs) So this guy was like this straight up asshole. Like it was crazy. So he's like just a straight up asshole cop. I mean, like, fuck, man. But he did play a great asshole cop, though. I give him that. Yeah. But he's not wrong. See, that's the thing. That's the thing that gets me about this. Like, because when this this happened, I was like, okay, so this guy's the good guy. Yeah. So this right? part, so yeah. the cop is the good guy, and Cheryl's the bad guy. But it switches. But <laughs> right. But it, he doesn't act like a good guy. And like through uh, the first half of the movie, I'm like, he's supposed to be the good guy, but I can't stand him. Yeah. So I don't really know what I'm supposed to get out of this. And then, um, but then you know, but he's right. Like he's he knows he doesn't he. It's kind of funny because later on he has this theory about what happened and he's completely wrong. Yeah. But he knows that her story is not what happened. Yes. But like, it's weird though, because, you know, usually in horror movies, like the detective or the cop is like one of like the strong, good characters that help, you know, find the killer or help figure out the storyline or, or realize this stuff before other people do. Like, this guy, like, at first he thought he was going to be that guy, and then he totally did a fucking 180. <laughs> it's crazy. But, so he's going on, and he's saying, tell me the story again. And Bill's like, I told you, like, three times. He's like, I need you to tell me the story again. And then Bill's like, oh, I, I, I walked in to the house. I saw my aunt covered in blood, and she had a knife on him, and she was telling me that this guy was trying to rape her. He's like, oh, you said that thing. You said that story 
a couple minutes ago word for word, like you practiced it. I was like, okay. <laughs> and then the, the mom's going on, he raped me, he did it, I swear. He's like, quiet, woman, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Billy over here. Exactly. And then he's like, you know, then he's all like looking at her. He's like, I, I don't know if I could buy this because there's no uh, marks on you or anything. And he's like, he did it. He, he did it. He did it. And then this is when like he goes back and he's like, they're about to move the body. He's like, tells everybody to wait there so you can go check out the body. This is when uh, the aunt tries to go to Billy and try to caress him a little bit, saying everything's going to be okay. And Billy's like, okay, I need to get some air. And then right before he leaves, the cop's like, where do you think you're going? He's like, I was going to go get some air. He's like, turn around. All right. And he turns around. And then he says, um, he's like, did you know who Phil Brody was? And then he said, I do swear if Phil Brody raped your aunt. And he's like, yes. He's like, and the cop's like, you deceive, you, 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 uh, you deceiving me? Did you kill him? He said, no. So, so does the cop know about Phil Brody at this point? Or no, he no, find, no. He doesn't find that out. He doesn't later, find that out. Right? Yeah. He still just thinks Billy killed. Yeah. So basically, the, the cop for is. No yeah, the cop is thinking right now that because he, he, I don't know what the cop's trying to get out. He, he doesn't. He's, he, he's not for sure yet if Cheryl. No, Cheryl is claiming that she's killed Phil. Okay, because Phil tried to rape her. The cop mm -hmm. at this point of the movie thinks that Billy killed Phil because he witnessed this guy trying to rape his aunt. So Billy is the one who actually did the death blow. That's what the cop, that's what Carlson thinks at this point. Yeah, he just knows that Cheryl's story didn't happen the way she yes. says it did. So yeah, now right. the okay, aunt that is... That makes sense. Yes. So now the aunt is now uh, grabbing Billy and like caressing his arm like crazy. And this is when the cop tries to dig... He asks like a ton of questions. He's all like, you know... Hey, how come, you know, how old are you and stuff? Why do you not have a, a boyfriend or husband around? She's all like, I don't need one. I, I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have a husband. I don't need one. He's like, why do you guys live in this big place all, all, all to yourself? She's like, well, this is my house. I've always lived in there. He's all like, do you, are you raising this boy alone with no father? She's like, yes, I'm raising him alone. He's like, oh, that could be a little strange. So we're seeing some like, he's trying to dig into some like, you know, about their relationship a little bit. And then he's all like, you know, why didn't Phil, you know, he feels kind of a fit guy. You know, how did he not hurt you? Or how did you get an escape from him and stuff? She's like, well, he tried to get me on the couch, but I escaped from him. He's all like, that's weird. You don't got any, you know, bruises or nothing on your body. Mm -hmm. And then she's all right. like, I don't give a shit what, you know, what you had to think that the whole time that, you know, he's like, she's like, I don't give a shit what you had to think. You know, he, he tried to rape me. And like I said, the whole time she's like she's like caressing his arm very very strangely, and the cop was like interesting. So this is now the next day we see Billy we see um the aunt she is now burning a bunch of papers, and then Billy comes home after practice, and she's like hey um help me I'm 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 making you a room upstairs a, a personal room upstairs so help me get rid some of these papers out of the way. And Bill's like, hey, you know, that detective guy from earlier, that Carson guy, he went by the school today. He wants me to take a lie detector test. And I was like, you're not taking that test at all. And then we'll get rid of him. You know, don't worry about it. And she's yeah. like, I don't approve of you taking that test. 
So. Yeah, never. I mean, I know she, I know she's crazy, but never, never, p- kids out there, never, ever take a lie detector test yeah. or a polygraph or anything like that. Nothing good can ever come out of that. Yep. So now Billy's upstairs. He grabs a box of papers and it sees a rat, falls downstairs. And then this is when we get the on and she's like um, making sure he's okay. And then she looks at this piece of newspaper and then she's all like, she's looking at this newspaper and I was like, what is it? And she's like, oh, it's just this trip that your mom went on one time. And then she's like, ask them to clean up this stuff. So her attitude changes when she sees this particular news article. So this is a weird scene. So now yeah, we're This on. was really strange. Yeah. So, so, well, this coming, this scene up here is going to be a little weird. So this is, we're back on the basketball court. All right. We see the coach. We see the billion. They're all playing basketball. Carson shows up. He is now talking to the coach. The coach, um, he's going on to the coach saying, hey, isn't it um, ironic or, or, or fascinating that a boy who witnessed a bloody murder is okay after seeing that bloody murder like nothing ever happened? And isn't it weird, too, that a lover, after having his loved one pass away, can just work perfectly fine and not have any issues? And, and the coach is like, kind of like, what are you getting at over here? He's like, well, I found this ring on Phil Brody. And it said, P.B. Hart. Um, uh, T.M. Has in mm-hmm. Tom Landers. And then he's all like, what I'm trying to figure out is, how does Billy play into all this? And the coach is like, listen, Billy doesn't play into this at all. You know, he's a good kid. I've been practicing teaching him basketball this whole time, and he has nothing to do with any of this stuff. And mm-hmm. he's all like, oh, I see. Well, uh, I'm just trying to see if this makes it like a, a lover's quarrel or not. And then Carson was all like, I think you better resign or else you get yourself lynched. I was like, oh, shit, okay. Oh, yeah, we're talking about lynching lynching people. Yeah. Um I mean, I do th- also think this is strange that he was able to function normal after uh, after Phil Brody was killed. Well, there's a but, reason for I that. I mean, well, okay, there is a reason for that. But, you know, he probably also just couldn't um, – I mean, he, nobody could know. I mean, that's basically it. Like, yeah. nobody could know about the situation. Yeah, so basically, you know, the coach is gay, and his he was in a relationship, secret relationship with this Phil guy, and yeah. he didn't want anybody to know because probably back then – if somebody realized, oh, this basketball coach is gay, you'd probably have a bunch of parents and mothers being like, hey, we can't have this guy coaching our kids because he's gay. He's gonna just going to be touching oh. him and trying to get him on. That's the, the oh, mind I frame guarantee he then. would be fired from his job. I yeah. guarantee in, in 1981 he would be fired from his job if they found out he was gay. Exactly. So like I said, you know, just it's just crazy how things have, have changed over time. They probably changed for the better, I would say. I would say so. I mean, not yeah. firing gay people for being gay is probably better. Yes. Definitely. So we see the aunt now, and she is in her like little like shrine garage, or her her garage. I think it was a it's either the basement or the garage. One of the two she was in. She breaks off this wood, and she is now we have she has a candle there, and she's like, "Hi there." And we see a picture of a shrine, and it looks like Billy's dad, and she is talking mm-hmm. to this particular picture. She said like, "I I really didn't want to kill that man, but." I had to have Billy here. That's why I was thinking, like, she planned this shit. She said she didn't want to kill mm-hmm. the man, but she's all like, you know, I, I, I needed to I needed to protect, you know, I wanted to protect Billy, and 
he's like, I, I need to protect him, and I want him to hurt hurt. I don't want him to hurt me like you did. So she, we could see that she is talking to. For some reason, she has a shrine for Billy's dad, and she's talking to him like he's still kind of alive, you know, in a way. And she's saying basically she killed this guy so that she can protect her son from some of like the evils in the world, I guess, or protect him from going away. So now we have this other detective. He is at the door. This detective is Sergeant Cook. And he goes in the house and he wants to talk to Cheryl. But Cheryl sees him, freaks out, and just pushes the ass out of there. Get the fuck out of here. So now we have... This is outside. at the at the the We're back at the school. And Eddie is now talking to Billy about the coach. So I guess the cat, I guess, I'm guessing Carson let the cat out of the bag that Tom Landers is uh, gay. And now the coach is trying to resign himself. So Eddie was saying, hey, you know, I know you were in the coach's office many times. I heard you were real close, real close to him. And then Billy pours some milk on Eddie's head for warning because we'll see a lot more milk later on. And then yeah. Eddie and Billy get into a fight. And then Eddie's like, I'm going to kill you. And this is crazy because we, I, I, they, they, Billy and Eddie got into this fight, right? And you thought mm. there was going to be some more drama between them. But this is the last time we saw Eddie. Like, he was gone after this. Yeah. Well, I mean, the movie takes quite a bit of a turn here. But, yeah, you, yeah. I thought that Eddie was going to be, like, a uh, Billy's antagonist in this movie. In this movie. Yeah. But uh, that was not the case. No, because <laughs> we, case at all. after this scene right here, we have pivoted to who becomes one of the main um, antagonists of this movie. So Billy, I mean, Julia eventually calms Billy down and Billy starts is back in his house and he's just shooting some hoops. Carson shows up. Carson is a great um, basketball player itself. So Billy, you know, every time you see Billy make a shot, he, ma- he makes it. And then Carson makes his shots too. So everybody's a great basketball player in, in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then Billy's like, oh, that's a good shot. He's like, it was a lucky shot. He said, uh, he said, uh, he said, the coach show you a lot of those moves? And the bill was like, yes. And then the guy was like, so this is the part where I had to like censor. So I'm not going to say exactly what Carson was saying, but I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to, this is what, this is what he was saying. Without me saying exactly what he was saying. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then Carson was like, it doesn't bother you that he was gay. And then he asked, like, "Are you gay?" And then, and then, um, and then, like you know, Billy's like, "What the hell? Like, what the hell is this coming from?" He's all like, "Hey, it doesn't make sense that Phil was gay, and he was trying to rape your aunt." All right. So, I think that you're gay, Billy, and you were having a lovers' quarrel with the the Tom and Phil. Here's what I think what happened. Then we see a flashback. Of basically what Carson thinks is happening is um, Billy and Phil got into some sort of lover's quarrel and then Billy killed uh, Carson because of that. And then and then the aunt is like, no, no, it's not true. Like the aunt was outside listening to it. He's like, no, it's not true. He tried to rape me. Like, get out of here, you filthy pig. And then Billy was going to hit Carson with the basketball because he was so pissed off at him. And Carson's like, listen, don't do that. I'm going to break your arm. Oh, and then by the way, use some more of your wrist. No, use some more of your waist. And then 
Also need you to, when you shoot the ball, flicker your wrist. You're probably used to that. I was like, this fucking asshole. Yeah, this guy's just a dick. I was like, what the fuck? So in Carson's head, he it seems like he is more offended that all three of these characters were gay than the actual murder had happened. So Yeah, it, he seems more concerned about that than, than that somebody was killed. Yes. So this is when we get uh, Billy and the aunt eating. And, you know, Billy's upset. And she's like, well, are you upset, upset, Billy? And she's like, you know, this Carson guy is not letting me off the hook. Like, he really thinks I killed this guy. And then the aunt's like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll take care of him and everything. He, he He's going to be fine. He's like, I just don't know why he's blaming me and the coach. He's like, well, your coach, did you know that your you know coach was, you know, gay? Did you know Tom Lanners, he's a homosexual and, you know, he's just very, very sick. And then Billy's like, what the hell? He's not sick and anything. Like, you know, what the hell are you talking about? And then Billy storms off and leaves. And she's like, don't leave me, Billy, and everything. So it's pretty, like, ironic that this character, Cheryl, is calling somebody else sick and twisted while she's over here <laughs> fucking killing people and fucking uh, trying to get this crazy son there. So we're, we're, we're seeing some, like, descent and some madness. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, what else would you expect, though? You yeah. know, I mean, she she thinks that what she's doing is perfectly normal, but all these other people, there's something wrong with everybody else. Yes. So this is when we have a scene in the locker room. Billy sees the coach. Um, the coach is, like, saying, like, hey, you know, I got to – he's like, oh, coach, you know, why are you quitting everything? He's like, hey, I got to figure this stuff out my own my own way, and by leaving, I can do it better than, like, me staying here. And then the, and the Billy's kind of upset a little bit. He's all like, you know, really helped me out and stuff. And yeah, like he, the, the Carson guy, he told the aunt, you know, that, that you were gay and then said like, you know, he can prove that. And then he's all like, you know, I just, I, I got to figure out a way to, you know, prove myself from Carson that I didn't kill anybody. And, Car- and then, and then the, um, the coach says like, you know, it's okay. You know, just take care of yourself, Billy. Let me know if you need anything. So, you know, the coach doesn't hold any, ill will for Billy at all. Which is weird because I thought the the the, the coach Tom would, would like show some ill will towards Cheryl for like killing him. But I guess like because of the whole stereotype of like him being gay, he couldn't like do anything about it, you know, for 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 this Cheryl girl killing, you know, his like boyfriend. So it was pretty crazy of how much restraint that this character Tom had to show in this movie. Well, yeah, I mean, he probably was used to showing a lot of restraint anyway because of the way he had to live his life. Yes. But, you know, at the same time, he, he, yeah, it, but you're right. It is kind of weird because, I mean, obviously he knows that it didn't happen the way she says it did, and he knows it didn't happen the way Carson says it did. So he doesn't know why, really, that she killed him other than she, that she's crazy. Yeah. Um, so I think that he's just trying to play it cool and like not, uh, you know, he's he's basically trying not to get uh, lynched, I guess, at this point, really. Yeah, he's trying to not get a lot of attention to himself. So this is when we're back with Carson. He's in the police station. He's yelling at these cops. He's like, we only put 3% of these criminals off the street. Everybody straighten the fuck up. And then there's this hooker walk by and the hooker says, fuck you. He's like, fuck you, you hooker. And then the um, and then he's in his lock. He's in his office feeding some dog, and then Tom comes in, and Tom's like, "Hey, you know, I got some, uh, I got some news for you." 
And then the, 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 the car says, oh, I heard you resigned. Um, oh, by the way, um, I heard this uh, kid, uh, Billy Green, he's one of two kids that got molested uh, last night. You uh, know anything about that? It's like, fuck, what a dick. And he's like, oh, just like I thought, because, you know, like Tom, he didn't like do a response. And then he's all like, hey, I just want to let you know, Carson, something that might help you out in the investigation. He's like, why do you want to help me out? He's like, Phil had a wife before. So Cheryl's story might be true of what happened. Oh, okay. You know, you're trying to help me. I'm not really sure why. Are you sure you're not trying to help out your butt buddy, Billy? And then, and then like eventually the guy, Tom, leaves calling him like a little bit of an asshole. And then, and then uh, Carson tells Tom, I'm trying to get trash like you off the street and get the fuck out. So this guy's in full fucking asshole mode. Yeah, I mean, he's just a yeah, it's just straight up asshole. Yeah. So now we have Billy. She talks. Billy's talking to Julie about you know everything being screwed up right now, and then he's kind of like getting Julie's advice of what they should be doing about the aunt. Yeah, this is like basically he's asking like Julie like you know what what we're gonna do about it, and she's like kind of pretty much like calming him down, saying everything's gonna be okay. And this is when we get Carson now. He is meeting Julie at her house. And he's like, hey, can I walk with you and talk with you? And he's like, I just got a couple questions for you. Like, how long have you and Billy been dating? And she like, answers them. And then she, he just says, like, you know, how long have you and Billy been making it? And she's like, what? Excuse me? He's like, you heard me. Uh, is Billy gay? Because if, if he killed Phil and, and, he's, and he's trying to, I think he killed Phil and his aunt's trying to cover up for him. And then she's all like, he's not gay and stuff like that. And then she's like, well, how come you haven't answered my question? What is it? Have you guys ever made it? And she doesn't say anything. And then she's like, he's like, okay, well, I just answered my question right there. And then she's like, Billy is more of a man than you'll ever be. And Carson was like, all right. Like, <laughs> it's like, fuck, man, this guy can't. Like, at first I thought it was okay. We're shifting the storyline for this Carson guy to be like the main villain because he is just like like dead set on his freaking idea that Billy killed this guy out of some sort of like lover's quarrel and stuff and he's just not listening to any kind of other reason other than that right now right. and he's like fucking being an asshole to all these characters even some characters that had like nothing to do with anything Right. Yeah. At this point, I thought that he was going to come back. He was, even though he was extremely unlikable, like I was thinking, well, okay, maybe this is like 1981 cop stuff. But, you know, I thought that he was still going to come back around and like be like, um, not the hero, but like yeah, Billy's the hero, but he was going to be like, um, he was going to come back around and support Billy at the end. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. But now at this point in the movie, you're just like, this is this guy is just a bad guy. He's just a villain in the movie. Yeah. So during this as well, to um, the Cheryl, she was supposed to be out hanging out with Margie, and this is when the, uh, Julie and Billy were like, okay, finally, you know, we get some alone time with the aunt not being in the house. So we get a scene of them two in bed kissing up on each other. And at first, Billy didn't want to kind of, like, do anything. And then um, Julie kind of spills the beans and be like, hey, yo, like, hey. Um, Billy goes, you know, makes a drink. He comes back and everything. 
And then this is when we get uh, Julie telling Billy, like, hey, you know, guess who visited me yesterday was Carson. And he asked me, like, how many times that we make love? And Billy's like, what the hell? She's like, yeah. She's like, and then she's like, you know, why don't we make any love? And she's like, like some things you, you, you don't want to tell me. And Billy's like, listen, you know, you have a great body and you're sexy. And they start kissing. And then during this time, you can see somebody who is like, we're having that first person Halloween view of somebody like creeping around the house. And then right when my boy Billy is getting some humping going on, the, the aunt comes in saying, get dressed and get that slut out of here. And then Julia leaves. I was like, fuck. Right, right before my boy was about to get it up in there. So, this is when we have Julie, she's outside, and this is when we see the sergeant. Sergeant's like, hey, I tried to go talk to Cheryl, but you you know, you'll do. Hey, can you let me know, like, did you and Billy, like, you know, get it on? She's like, what the fuck? Why does everybody keep asking me this? And and then it's like, yeah, stop. And then she's like, <laughs> she's like, what the hell? She's like, yeah, and then she caught me up there, and now I gotta leave. And he said, like, okay, no, he's like, hey, this is good. It's going to be really good for Billy's case. He said, I got there. There's a strong feeling. Um, uh, she's all, and he's basically saying, like, this is really good for Billy's case. You know, like, I got a strong feeling about uh, my story of how this case can go. So now Billy's in the shower. Aunt comes in there fucking just yelling at his ass. Saying, you know, I don't want you to do, do that again and stuff. And Billy's like, I'm 17. And then she's like, oh, I don't want you angry at me. And she kisses him and she leaves. And Billy's like very confused. So now the honest back, she's talking to those pictures again. Saying like, can you believe that all these sluts just won't leave my Billy alone? Says, I'm going to have to keep him like I did you years ago. And he'll never leave us. So we're showing that there's some sort of like weird, like she doesn't, she's doing everything she can to like keep Billy in this house, stuck with her alone. Yeah. So it's starting to get dark now. Mm -hmm. One thing about this scene too. um, So Julia is played by um, Julia Duffy, who played, um, uh, Stephanie Vanderkellen on Newhart. Newhart's one of my favorite sitcoms of all time, and I thought that was weird. I did not know, like, like in this scene where, like, you like where where you see her boobs. Yeah. I was like, oh, that was that was really weird to see yeah. Stephanie Vanderkellen's boobs. But uh, anyway, that's a little aside there. Newhart's a great show, by the way. Very yeah, funny. it's always fun, like how you see like different actors and actresses, like. Yeah, they, they they go on to be like really good roles and starring roles and their first couple of movies are just like these random horror movies. So it's very it's always very interesting seeing them in like different lights. Yeah, exactly. Uh so this is when we have Sergeant Cook. He is talking to Carson about how he sees uh, the case different, and then Carson doesn't want to hear it. He's all like he's all like Carson's like still you know, he basically still thinks like because they were they were all gay that they were all in on it about them killing this Phil guy. And Carson's like, no. Like, the Billy, he made it with Julie last night. <laughs> she said it to herself. And he's like, yeah. give it a rest. I don't want to hear it. And then the, the Carson's... <laughs> Too late now. Yeah. Carson's like, listen, the boy, he didn't grow up without a father. 
that means he just got grown up to be like you know less of a man because he didn't grow up with the yeah, father. Cause, yeah, because obviously if you grow up without a father, you're gonna grow up to be gay, right? Yeah. So that's like another stereotype that this movie is trying to portray that people had, you know, back then and at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Almost kind of trying to fight against it, though. Yeah. So then the Sergeant Cook was like, hey, you know, I also talked with the locals about, um, you know, the, the story of why um, Billy's parents died. And it said somebody was tampering with the brakes. And then, and then Carson's like, listen, I hope you're doing this shit on your own time and not on department time. And then he leaves. And then I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, he doesn't... Carson, he just set on his ways. Like, he yeah. he has shifted from trying to figure out this murder and then dig more into mystery to, like, I got it. I know what's happening. I don't want to hear any other suggestions. I'm right and you're wrong. He's one of those assholes. Right. But, you know, that's how a lot of... Uh, not to get too uh, socially conscious. Oh, this is a very socially conscious movie, I feel like. But... Yes. Um, like um that's how a lot of cops are today and that's like what a lot of people that's why a lot of people have a problem with law enforcement today and why you know one of the things that started the things that caused the black lives matter movement to start is that a lot of times police officers find out or not find out but they they decide who they think did it and then they find a way to prove that that person did it instead of trying to find evidence of who actually did it Exactly. And that's exactly what he's doing. Like he, he knows in his mind that this is what happened and I'm going to find a way to prove this. Exactly. So we have Billy. He's trying to leave to go to his basketball tryout. The aunt wants to talk to him and she's like, I got your favorite milk and cookies right here. She said like, hey, Billy, you know, I'm behind you 100%. Um, I hope you bring home the prize. And then Billy drinks his milk and cookies. So now we have Billy's at his basketball game, the big basketball game with all the uh, scouts there. And then Billy kind of tells Julie, like, hey, you know, I'm like, I'm not feeling that well. And she's like, oh, it's, it'll be okay. When the game starts, you'll get back into the mood. So at first, Billy is playing pretty good. And then we have the aunt. She has, like, the most evil look on her face. Like, she knows what she did. And then Billy starts, after Billy gets fouled, he starts to do um, a couple, um, what do you call them, three-point shots? And he keeps missing him because he's getting dazed over here. And eventually, he plays a little bit more of the game, and he eventually crashes and faints. And then the aunt comes up saying, "Hey, we gotta—I'm just gonna bring you back home." So, yeah. So apparently, she has spiked the milk and cookies. God, what a bastard! Yeah, so that uh, Billy can't perform at the basketball game. Exactly. So we're back at the house. Billy wakes up. There it is again. He is in the attic now. And there's like these little toys around everywhere. It's kind of a weird looking place. Uh, he asked what happened yeah. at the game. And she's like, oh, you fell and hit your head and stuff. And she's like, oh, man, what time is it? It's like, it's noon. He's like, oh, I got to go to school and stuff. And I got to meet Julia at 1 p.m. She's like, said, you're not going anywhere. It's like, you shouldn't even go to school anymore. Nothing but a, but a bunch of perverts there. You should just stay here <laughs> with me. Not, you should just not go to school mm. anymore. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Just don't go to school anymore. You're not going there. You're, you're, there's a bunch of perverts around there. You don't need to go there. So um, then she brings up like a box, like this golden box. And she's like, hey, I got a present for you. This one used to be your mother's. And he's like, kind of looks at it kind of weird and stuff. 
And then uh, she eventually puts the stuff back there. She's like, hey, you need to um, stay back in bed. And, oh, she, she, she was going to leave that box there, but then she took it and she put it, she's like, she takes it with her. And she's like, you know, rest up, Billy. And then we see her spiking some more milk. So she is pretty much trying to make him sick so he can only stay at home with her. So she has gone to full psycho person mode at this time. So Billy is like up and getting ready and he's walking around. He sees like this really creepy picture of Jesus. Did you see that photo? Yeah, I know. That was really, really, really I mean, creepy. Fuck, it looked like, like it should be on a, on like a heavy metal cover of a, like a heavy metal album cover. I know. It was like, it like was, Behemoth's was next album. Yeah, it's like Behemoth's, the Behemoth's next album cover. So he's looking in the aunt's room. He actually looks at that box because I guess he saw some papers in there he kind of wanted to look at. And he's going to this box and reading this note. And then and the, the notes is from um, a guy named Craig. And it says, well, I've only known you for a couple weeks, but um, I think we're starting something special. And then right when he was reading that note, the aunt walks in. She drops the plate of food. She's like, Billy, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you going through all my personal stuff? And he's all like, you know, I was like, what, what, I don't get what, what's going on over here. What was this note about? You know, like. He said, like, this stuff, like, it was not my mother's, it was, it was yours. And and then she was all like, like, listen, um, and then he's all like, it's like, Phil didn't try to rape you. Are, are you lying to me? And she was like, no, no, I would never lie to you at all. And then she caresses him a little bit and tries to calm him down. All right. Well, this is a weird scene. Carson is now interrogating some Spanish guy with a gun. Randomly, yeah, it's this. This should not be funny, but it's so ridiculous that it is. <laughs> it was a little funny, like what the fuck? This came out of nowhere. And then, um, Sergeant Cock, Cock, Sergeant Cook rocks in, <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, um, I got some more uh, details in that Sherry's case." And he's like, "It's like, take it, you know, leave it the rest there, Cock, or Cook, whatever his fucking name is." Cook. She's like, hey, I found out that uh, she actually dated some local guy. And around the time that she was dating him, he actually disappeared with no trace at all. She's like, Carson's like, listen, like, just get out and take take the day off. Or better yet, take a vacation. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear your evidence. Yeah, I don't want to hear this evidence that you have of this <laughs> supposed Craig story. Sounds like a fake name to me. Now I'm going to talk to this Mexican guy about his drugs and my big-ass gun, brother. <laughs> Fucking weird, man. So now the aunt has cut her hair. So she is in, like, total, like, I am a crazy person mo- mode. You know, like, yeah. I am, like... That kind of reminds me of that story. Oh, man. You know, it's like it's like one of those stories where the 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 the, the mother or the aunt, the person... Is so obsessed with taking care of their son that they 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 have like that syndrome, you know, where they can't yeah, they um, can't have their son do anything or leave their side. Yeah, but she yeah, takes it to a screen. Uh, yeah, it's like a, it's almost like that, but to an absolute extreme. Yes. So now Billy he leaves a note, I guess, in the aunt's room, and then he leaves, and then now the aunt is in her shrine again, talking about yeah, I cut my hair off. <laughs> It said, I did it for all you guys. And then she's like, you, you actually made me do it. She's talking to the picture. And then she's like, 
you know, like my goal over here is basically to keep you and Billy uh, with us and we're going to be one big happy family. And then uh, we actually see a little bit of a dead body she has in the shrine as well too. So we have now figured out that this Craig guy is um, like Billy. I mean, this is like a, a the lever that she used to have that she has kept in this shrine for years. So Billy yes. comes up with a plan. He wants Julie to do to do to distract his aunt, so he can look in that jewelry box for some more um, evidence of you know some stuff that he was curious about, because he knows that his aunt is lying to him. So eventually, Julie agrees to it. So, um, so Julie decides to go visit Cheryl, and she comes in, and Cheryl starts freaking out. She's like, "You slut, get out of my house!" and everything. She's like, you're trying to take Billy away from me. And she's like, no, no, like, I just want to talk. And Julie eventually just sits down. And then the aunt, like, just grabs a piece of meat and starts banging on it. And, like, and she's like tenderizing the meat. Yeah, tenderizing. Which there's a, there's a weird uh, goof in this. I don't know if you noticed, but um, you can tell they filmed this several different times with several different pieces of meat because yeah. she's like, ba- she's like tenderizing the meat and then it'll be all tenderized and then it'll be not tenderized again. Yeah. Kind of, kind of interesting. <laughs> but anyway. So Julie's going on saying, Billy and I love each other. And then Don's saying, like, Billy's my little boy. You know, they just grow up so fast. She's like, I had a boyfriend once. And then she looks at Julie all sweet and says, hey, can you just go get something out of the fridge for me? She's like, okay. And then she goes and then she, wham, whacks her in the back of the head. with the. Yeah, then she tenderizes Julia. Yeah, she tenderizes her. So but during this whole time, Billy's upstairs reading the note. And then we see the aunt, she's spiking some more milk. Her favorite thing to do. Margie shows up. All right. She comes like, she just, every time we see the Margie, she just doesn't knock. She just comes right in, makes herself at home. Mm-hmm. And then aunt walks in. She's like, look at my hair. And Margie's like, oh, okay. It looks nice. Like kind of like, she's like, why the fuck does this crazy girl just cut a brush of her hair? <laughs> <laughs> and then right. and then Billy shows up. She's like, ask about the hair. Like, why did you get your hair? She's like, oh, don't worry about it, Billy. Here, here's your milk. Uh, drink your milk. It'll be okay. And they all talk and everything. And then um, Billy's like, oh, have you, is Julie here and stuff? She's like, no, no, no. She, 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 uh, she was here a little bit, but she had to go. She had to like get out of here quick. <laughs> she, had, she had to go. She just left. Yes, she and just then left all of a sudden. Yes, and then while while this is happening, uh, she's wiping some blood from the fridge. And then nothing to see here. Yeah, nothing to see here at all. <laughs> and then when I half ha- expected her to say, "Julia tried to rape me." Yeah, no, yeah, it's like she's trying to rape me. Fucking, but I, actually, this girl who played um, Cheryl, she was a, a pretty good. She was definitely a great actress when she was doing oh, her yeah. her crazy. Like you, you believed it. Like she did a great oh, yeah. job. Um, so then Billy passes out in front of both of them because he drank the spiked milk, and this one must have been like super spiked because. At the basketball game, it took him a little bit to get spiked. This one was like super quick. So this is when Billy wakes up again. There we go. Another shot for everybody. The aunt is now telling Marjorie like, hey, you know, she's like, you know, we should get him to the hospital and stuff and check it out on the doctor. And I was like, no, 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 we're not going to do no doctors. You know, don't tell me how to raise my, raise my, uh, raise my nephew. Uh, I think we're done with here, Marjorie. You, you can leave right now. You can leave. And she's like, okay, yeah. And then Marjorie Charlie goes to leave a little bit. And then when she breaks up, she, she talks to Billy like, hey, can you believe that she was like trying to teach you how to raise you and stuff? Like, 
And then, like, when this happens, um, uh, Billy reveals a note, which is actually a birth certificate. And this is when we get, Cheryl is like, yes, I am your mother. Mm. Not as good as the Darth, Darth Vader, Vader moment, but yes. <laughs> exactly. It's a Darth Vader moment. So we have gotten our first swerve out of this movie. So here is the story. And then why, while Sherry is telling this story, um, Margie, she is downstairs listening to everything. Sherry goes on saying, listen, your dad, uh, Craig, yes, your dad, Craig, uh, I was dating him for a little bit. And he got me pregnant. But he didn't want to stay with me. So because I was not in a marriage, I had to give you up to my sister. And we just pretended like my sister and and the husband, like they were together. But after a while, I needed to bring the whole family back. So I sabotaged the brakes and I killed both of them just to have you back with me. So that's how we got the whole story. Yeah, it so, makes sense. So now um, it even gets weirder. Like so, like I was weird. I was weirded out by it before, when because uh, she because she seemed to have this strange, like almost sexual attraction to Billy. Yeah. And and it's weird that her his aunt has a weird sexual attraction to him, but then she turns out to actually be his mom, and she knows that the whole time, and it got it gets even weirder. Yeah, so now I was all like, oh, shit, he's my, she's my mom? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's still, like, drugged out at this point that he could barely, like, say a lot of dialogue at this particular time. So right when she's spilling some more beans, the phone rings, and she runs downstairs, and the, the, Mar- the uh, Margie girl, she hides, and it's Julia's mom asking, where is Julia at? And, she, and the mom's like, I don't know where she's at. I've never seen her. I haven't seen her in all day and stuff. You know, but keep better care of your daughter and stuff. And then she hangs up the phone, and then Margaret was behind her saying, like, hey, I thought you said you saw Julia today. And she's like, it's like, listen, I think you need to leave and stuff. And she's like, okay, well, do you mind if I use the phone and call Frank and stuff? You know, I'm trying to look for an umbrella because it's about to rain. And she's like, just go in the broom closet and use a broom. And then she, mom just, <laughs> mom just walks around. <laughs> and then she use spikes a, some more broom. Milk. Yeah. And then she fucking spikes some more milk. Uh, so now that Julia's mom has now contacted the Sergeant Cook. And she was already kind of mad at Sergeant Cook for harassing her daughter earlier. So that's what Cook thought it was, was about. But then she, she was saying like, hey, uh, my daughter is missing. She was supposed to pick me up from the airport. She's not here. I tried to call up uh, Cheryl. She was acting all kinds of weird. Can you go check by their house and see what's going on? The cook's like, okay. He's like, I'll do that. He's like, hey, can you tell this other cop to, to come go by the Roberts Regency? And I'm going to go headed over there myself. So we have um, Cheryl. She's bringing some more spiked milk up to Billy. And Margaret uh, says, like, hey, I'm gonna about to leave. See you guys later. She shuts the door, but she's actually faking it to see what's happening over here. And this is when we have um, Cheryl. She's like forcing Billy to drink this milk. And this scene was pretty crazy. Like, I thought this scene was pretty fucked up. Yeah. Like, forcing him to drink this spiked milk and shit. Saying, yeah, like, she's like, drink it. Yeah, drink it. Drink it, drink it. She's like f- super crazy at this time. 
Julie is alive. And she wakes up in the basement with a bloody head. And then this is when she sees uh, the, the bones of the dead, uh, the, the, de the dead baby's daddy, Craig. And she freaks out. So now we have uh, Margaret. She's creeping throughout the house. And then she eventually leaves. She's like, I can't take anymore of this crazy shit. She leaves and goes outside. And then she starts hearing some purring. And this is when we get crazy, knife-willing Roberts, Cheryl Roberts. And she starts to fucking slice Margie in the fucking stomach. And then she's down for the count. And then she eventually sees Julie because Julie's escaping. And she goes, runs after Julie. So we have gotten our, our killer, uh, the, 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 the Cheryl Roberts. She is now full psycho mode right now. Yep. So she actually corners Julie in this like shack and she was about to get him. And then out comes the sergeant. He just walks in and like, hey, anybody here? Sergeant, he gets the light. And she just fucking chops his arm off. And he's like, oh, shit. And then like he gets sliced on the neck. And then Julie's like, what the fuck? So there goes our boy, <laughs> Cock, uh, Cook. He's fucking Cook, dead. Yeah. Fucking he just dead. walks out of nowhere. Like, you, nowhere. you don't even, there's no scene of him driving up. He just like walks into the room. And then, yeah, then she's like, she like chops him up with a machete. Yeah. And then eventually Julie gets to escape. And then we have a little bit of a chase scene. So Billy's waking up during this time too, but he is like just falling around everywhere. Uh, and then we have uh, the scene of uh, um, Julie and Robert, um, um, Cheryl, they're like chasing each other. They uh, they start attacking. Uh, uh, Cheryl tries to um, get her with a, uh, I think it was like a like an axe or something. And he, she like uh, gets it stuck into Cheryl. They eventually go into some water. And then they start fighting in this water. And then eventually um, she gets the upper hand on Julie by hitting her over the head with a rock. So this is when we get Billy. He's trying to make a phone call. And he keeps falling down everywhere. He's trying to make a phone call. And he's trying to, um, so before he can make this phone call, uh, Cheryl walks in and has him stop it and starts choking him out a little bit with the, the phone cord. The phone, yeah. Yeah. Says, you know, says, who, who he says, like, um, who are you trying to talk to, your girlfriend? I'm your girlfriend now. It's like, oh boy. And it gets really weird. Yeah. So this is when like she is like um she said like you're as bad as my my rotten sister was trying to take all my men she says you you're lying and then Billy eventually finds him and he stabs her right in the chest and then Billy's all freaked out during this cuz he just stabbed his mom that he just didn't know it was his mom and he's calling now he calls the coach over and says hey coach um I really need your help over here can you come over here I just stabbed my mother and then right when this happens and, he's, and the, Billy, the coach said he's going to come over there, uh, Cheryl, she wakes up and she starts stabbing and slicing up Billy. And then eventually Billy finds like uh, the old uh, fireplace um, uh, weapons and stabs his mother uh, with the fireplace weapon. So we have had, uh, this is the end of the Cheryl. She's gotten chopped down by her own son, Billy. So this is when we see the cops showed up. This is when we see Carson showing up. And he sees the dead Margaret. And the cop is like, hey, uh, Cook is dead. Uh, his body's in the basement. And then this is when we had the coach. He's there at the house. He's helping Billy get all cleaned up. Carson shows up. Pulls a gun on him. 
and says, which one of you, which one of you killed her? And they're like, hey, yo, man, listen on our story and stuff. And then we have a cop come in with Julie. And then, because um, Carson was also like, you know, which one of you killed uh, Cook? And then Julie comes in saying like, hey, you know, it was her. It was Cheryl. She's the one that cooked. His body's in the hospital, in the basement. And the cop's like, get her out of here. I don't want to hear her story and stuff. And the cop's like, well, shouldn't we hear her out? It's like, no, I'll handle this. No. Yeah. No, we do not. We do not listen to witnesses. Yeah, we don't we listen to witnesses. And we're going to, yeah, we're going to prove it. <laughs> yes. And then um, this is when, uh, the, let's see. So this is when the coach and, the, and Carson start fighting up a little bit. And then they, uh, when they start fighting up a little bit, because the coach is like, he like knocks, uh, I mean, the Carson like knocks the coach face a little bit and he's about to go shoot Billy, but the coach stops it. And then eventually Billy gets the gun. And then he's looking at the coach saying like, you know, you're not going to shoot me. Give me the gun. Give me the gun. And then eventually Billy just shoots his fucking ass. So now mm. we got this asshole getting shot up good. And this is when we get Julie after she's done shooting up Carson. Julie comes up to him, starts caressing him. And then we get a little bit of uh, the backstory of what happened in words saying, Billy, yeah. So Billy, he stood trial for killing Lieutenant Carson, but he was acquitted on the grounds of temporary insanity. And then Julie, Julia, and, and uh, Billy. They now live happily ever after in Denver. And that's the end of the movie. Yep. Yeah. I like how they had like a um, uh, text on screen, like they do in true stories. Yeah, I know. They, they tell you what, what happened. <laughs> so it's like instead of showing us, it just has like it just has the text on screen to show us that he stood trial but was acquitted. And uh, now Julia and um, uh, Billy lived happily together in, in Denver. Yes. Where I guess they went to college. And he can now, uh, man, what if he did some backstory, back digging on his story? So he figured out that his aunt, that he was raised him with his mother all along, and that his mother killed his dad and killed his sister all in one slew and then tried to kill him. I mean, man, pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. I mean, fuck, man, this guy, if he doesn't have some problems, like, like I don't, I don't believe this, like, Living happily ever after in Denver, like this guy's gonna have yeah. some fucked up like story. You know? Yeah, yeah, that, that guy's <laughs> definitely gonna have to go to therapy for sure. Yeah. So, but everybody, that was the the butcher, the baker, the nightmare raker, or nightmare maker. So pretty, pretty crazy uh, love tale of one mother's love so much on her son that she would kill and blame. And try to keep them with her. So we definitely have a, a little bit of a crazy horror movie love story in, in this one. So, but you know, like we were saying before, this movie was uh, definitely pretty interesting. Um, had a lot of like, um, you know, hard hitting uh, tones to it. Um, but overall, I thought it was a pretty enjoyable movie. Yeah, it was good. I mean, you know, it was it was it was, it was actually a really good movie. I mean, it wasn't you know, it was a little crazy. Yeah. But um, probably very revolutionary for his time. I mean, with his depiction of, uh, you know, of homosexuality, the way it was depicted was was very unusual, I would say, for its time, for sure. Yes. Very, very interesting. But everybody, that has been our our continue, continuous journey to this month, talking all kinds of crazy love stories. 
And we will be back here next week with our final review of the month with a very special movie picked out by one and only Allison. Allison, what are we going to be watching next week right here on the Retro Blood? Well, we're going to stay in the same time period, but um, a little bit different of a theme. But w- next week, we're going to be watching um, Possession from 1981. Oh, Possession. I like it. Should be a doozy. So, everybody, check us out. Facebook page, like it for all the extras on the show. Uh, check us out, you know, Podbeam, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find all your podcasts at. And Allison. What song should we leave everybody here with today? Ooh. Uh, should it be Dead Kennedys or should we do some Motley Crue on them? No, I think we should do some Motley Crue. How about uh, uh, Too Fast for Love? Ooh, Too Fast for Love because our girl Cheryl's definitely Too Fast for Love. Yeah. And everybody out there, a little warning for you before you uh, go on a nice joyride, make sure your brakes are working. Yeah, test them out, yes. you know, because you could die. Always check you your milk before you drink it. And, um, you know, just be a little careful out there when you're dealing with some police officers. You never know how they can do it. But everybody, this is Motley Crue. This is the Retro Blood signing off, and we'll see you next week right here. See you guys. Later.